Hello everyone, it's Mick Sullivan. Welcome to The Past and the Curious. Like I said last time, I think that all of this heat has me thinking about cold things. And this is an unusual episode, I gotta say. You're not gonna hear a UF 30 seconds or a quiz time. All of that will be back next month and we'll be back to normal. This episode is sort of a mashup with my friends from Cool Facts About Animals. But it's still a full episode of The Past and the Curious. Now, for the last three years, I have served as co-chair of Kids Listen with Allie, who produces Cool Facts About Animals with her three children, and I have loved working with her very much. So we came up with the idea of collaborating on a subject. I'm going to tell you about the Great Serum Run of 1925, which is when a relay team of sled dogs rushed across Alaska to deliver a much-needed medicine to fight a terrible disease. The story is in two parts. I'll tell you the first part, then turn it over to Cool Facts About Animals. They're going to tell you 10 interesting facts about sled dogs, and then I'll be back to tell you the rest of the story. And it's a good story. You can't go wrong with rescue dogs. Sometimes, when a situation is at its worst and things seem really scary, people have a way of coming together to get things done, to solve problems, to help one another. With determination for daring rescues and minds for marvelous inventions, it's incredible to think about the amazing things people have done for the sake of strangers. But as amazing as people can be, let's face it, sometimes we need dogs to show us how it's really done. Such was the case with the Great Serum Run of 1925. The city of Nome, Alaska is pretty remote, meaning, well, it's not easy to get there. This was especially true in 1925. Nome is in the far western part of Alaska, which is a huge state, the hugest in fact, and the city is nearly 600 miles from Anchorage, Alaska by air, and it's only 200 miles away from Russia. There was no railroad, and no road roads either. It's also frightfully cold for much of the year. Now, as for transportation, things had gotten a bit easier around the turn of the century because an Alaskan gold rush began in 1898, which meant a lot of people wanted to get there and try their luck digging up shiny rocks and stuff. This brought many new faces to join the Inupiaq, the Yupik, and other native people who had lived there for centuries. A town grew, a port opened up, and the snowy city, just shy of the Arctic Circle, had a population between 1,000 and 1,200 people. Many estimate that at this time, there were about 800 recent arrivals, both American and European, and around 400 native people. The new port meant ships could easily carry people and things in and out of Nome. But only part of the year. Once the ice set in, people had to wait months before it would thaw. This was the time that you had to make do with whatever you had. You really had to plan ahead. In the meantime, you relied on dogs. If you needed a delivery... Dogs! Sending mail... Dogs! Need an ambulance? Dogs! Order pizza delivery? Dogs! Well, actually, there was no pizza delivery in Nome in 1925, but you get the point. Sleds pulled by dogs were essential, and whether you needed to move someone or something over short or long distances, 
a light wooden sled pulled by a team of incredible dogs was crucial to life. There were dozens of mushers in the area, or the human drivers who rode behind the team of dogs as they pulled a sled through the snow and ice, and there were hundreds of dogs. And all dogs are great, but some dogs really stand out. Some dogs are truly special. More on that soon. Now, amongst Gnome's 1,000 or so inhabitants, there was but one doctor, Dr. Curtis Welch. And in December of 1924, Dr. Welch began seeing some unusually sick children. At first, he diagnosed it as tonsillitis on account of the swelling in their throats. But when more and more children showed the same scary symptoms, it dawned on him that tonsillitis was not contagious. But there was another, much more terrible disease that was very contagious. One that fit the symptoms he was seeing, diphtheria. Diphtheria is caused by a bacteria which creates a toxin poisonous to the human body. It first sets in in the throat, causing swelling, hence the mistaken diagnosis of tonsillitis. If untreated, diphtheria is a fatal disease. Now, science had found a cure, an antitoxin or serum, made from, of all things, <clears throat> the blood of a horse. Might sound very magic potion-y, but it was, in fact, very effective. Unfortunately, the last ship that had left Nome for the season before the ice set in had not brought any of this serum, despite Dr. Welch requesting some. He knew the city needed more. There was a little bit left, but it was expired. Knowing how contagious the disease was and how hard it would be to manage an epidemic in Nome's community, Dr. Welch began sounding the alarm as the number of sick children increased. He sent telegrams begging for any serum that may be within a few hundred miles. He alerted Alaska's governor and even politicians and civil servants in Washington, D.C. to the dire dilemma. If unchecked, it was clear that the disease would devastate the town. They were months away from the ice melting, which would allow ships to use the port. And in the meantime, they had no time to lose. A quarantine was put in place for the townspeople. And soon, Nome was practically a ghost town. A cold, snowy ghost town. With everyone staying inside their homes for weeks on end. The town was segregated. The native people, the land's original inhabitants, lived in one section and had separate accommodations, while the more recent American and European arrivals lived in the other. As the town's only doctor, Dr. Welch served them all. With no other options, Dr. Welch decided to test the expired serum. And this is a dark part of the story, as all stories from history tend to have. It appears he was unwilling to risk testing the expired antidote on a white child who was sick, and thusly tested it on a young Inupiat girl instead. It was risky, but luckily for her, the medicine seemed to help. However, even as a temporary solution, there was not much of the medicine left. The extremely contagious disease continued to spread every day. This is why it was huge news when on the fifth day of the growing pandemic, a box of serum was located in Anchorage, Alaska. 
The nearly 600-mile distance between the two cities might not seem like an insurmountable distance, but traveling 600 miles as the crow flies is different from having to travel the many twists and turns of the frigid landscape of wild Alaska. Some wanted to carry the serum as the crow flies. There were, at the time, a few airplanes available. However, the airplanes in Alaska in 1925 were not the safest, strongest planes, especially in cold, windy, winter storm conditions. They actually had open cockpits, meaning the pilot would have to face the blistering cold wind of flight head-on with almost no protection. And the cold was extreme. So it was not a safe idea, and they could not take any chances. Not that it would be much better on the ground. People of Alaska were worried because they were shivering through the coldest temperatures in the last 30 years. Alaskans all believed in the heroic potential of a good dog musher and a great team of sled dogs. But the weather conditions were increasingly terrifying. With everyone's point made, it was agreed that the best chance for success lay not in airborne technology, but rather in the paws of pups. As much as Team Plane fought back and tried to convince everyone that open-air amateur Alaskan airmail during the winteriest of winters was the best hope to deliver the serum and stop the diphtheria outbreak, officials shut it down. There was too much at stake. The only diphtheria dampening solution was dog sled. Or rather, dog sleds. Now understand, 600 miles would be much longer over land. Mushers would have to maneuver around obstacles and ice and stop in towns for food and warmth and fresh dog chow. The distance the serum would need to travel in order to get to Nome would actually be closer to 1,000 miles, all said and done. For the first 300, however, the precious life-saving serum would be carried by railroad to the furthest point it could reach, a place called Nanana. The next part of the plan would depend on a network of mushers to carry the life-saving medicine like a relay race for the additional 700 miles. One musher would drive his team through the frigid wilderness, meet another who was waiting with fresh dogs and unfrozen toes, and hand the precious cargo off like a baton in the Olympics. And so, the serum, made from horse blood, was held in glass vials, wrapped in quilting, and placed inside a metal box. The 20-pound package was placed on a train car in Anchorage on January 28th, and by the next morning, it had reached Nanana. Waiting for the train was a man with a team of sled dogs who would carry the serum for the first part of the journey. He was a man known as Wild Bill Shannon. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. Wild Bill, take this package and go like the wind. Say, what's this stuff made from? Horse blood. Ooh, gross. Now you got me feeling kind of queasy. That doesn't seem like something someone named Wild Bill would say. Mild Bill, maybe. Gerb. Okay, give me the stuff. Here. And don't let it freeze. Now wait, what? What, what do you mean? It's like negative 25 degrees right now. Seems like it's gonna freeze. Well, it can't. What, is that some kind of horse blood problem? Uh, no, it's a liquid problem. Liquids freeze and they expand. It'll crack the glass vials. Ew, then I'll have horse blood all over me. 
Better get moving, bud. All right, well, here I go. Yeehaw! Wild Bill, Wild Bill, Wild Bill, Wild Bill. Will the relay work? Will dogs become heroes and save lives? Will Wild Bill keep himself clean of horse blood? Find out on the thrilling conclusion. You'll hear it just after this special visit from our friends at Cool Facts About Animals. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. Hi, we are the Cool Facts About Animals podcast. If you've never heard our podcast before, there are a few things you need to know. First, we're a podcast for kids by kids. The hosts are Grady, that's me, he's 12, Clara, who's 10, and Teddy, who's 8. A couple other things you should know is that one, Grady thinks he's British, but he's not. Yes, I am. And in Great Britain or England, they say the word sledge instead of sled. Two, we have two other hosts. One's name is Corduroy. He's a very kind bear. And the other is Jaguar. And he's not so kind. He is a power-hungry, oil-obsessed diva. Yeah? Mm. All right. With that background, here are ten cool facts about sled dogs. Sledge dogs. Sled dogs. Sledge dogs. Here we go. Fact number one. Jaguar, we're celebrating number one right now. Woohoo! Go number one! Corduroy, you just said go number one. Hee <laughs> hee. <laughs> Sled dogs are any type of dog used to pull sleds in the Arctic, Um, generally Siberian Huskies, but can also be a mix. Right, so sled dog isn't actually a breed of dog. It's not like Golden Retriever. It's just any dog used to pull a sledge. (laughs) All right. Number two. Who wants to go number two? (laughs) Sledge dogs are so good at mushing. Because their bodies can reprogram themselves. Have you ever done some exercise and your arms are sore? Yes. Ordinarily, humans, if they did the same thing next day, like if you were out there pulling sledges and you just, the next day you went out and pulled another sledge, then your legs would probably feel sore again. I'd be even more sore probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
But sledge dogs are different. When sledge dogs pull a sledge a second day in a row, then they recover. It's not as sore anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So they're able to heal their muscles even when they're still using those same muscles. They don't need that same recovery time. Yes. That's really interesting. Okay. So what about mush? You mentioned the word mush. What does mush mean? Number three. The word mush comes from the French word marsh, which means like walk. Marsh. Which means walk. And the French occupied northern parts of Canada in the 1600s. So they would say, like, marsh to the dogs. <laughs> marsh! <laughs> it's just like, walk. Uh-huh. And the English speakers just interpreted it as mush. That's interesting. And so mush basically means, like, go forward. Like you might say to a horse, giddy up. That's what they say to the dogs and said, mush. Marsh. 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 Okay. Number four. Sled dogs weigh about 55 pounds, but when running, they eat about 12,000 calories, which is a lot. It's about like 48 McDonald's hamburgers. Or a healthier example, 64 and a half pounds of carrots. That's a lot of carrots. It was surprising to me that sled dogs only weigh 55 pounds. I would have expected that they were more like 100, 150 pounds. Because they're pulling that really heavy sled. Okay, Grady, number five. (laughs) Okay, so sledge dogs. They've been around for a while, over 9,500 years. Imagine how many generations of sledge dogs that is just constantly pulling sledges. (laughs) They're very helpful to early humans because they helped carry large amounts of supplies, food, materials over long large spaces mm-hmm. it's actually likely that yeah. humans wouldn't have even been able to settle in yeah. northern canada without without sled sledge dogs. dogs they were also used in the early 1900s to deliver mail yeah and we learned about that from mick too right yeah they even delivered pizza no it would be a bad way to do it because the pizza would get really cold number six sled dogs have adapted to arctic conditions <laughs> 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 oh speaking of adaptations well Jaguar, why don't you hear about how the sled dogs have adapted to Arctic conditions, and then you can tell us what sort of adaptations you have, and if you need any of these. They have a high-fat diet without much starch, which mirrors the type of food available in the Arctic, like seals, walruses, and whales. Right, so if you think about dogs that are around here, like maybe they could eat some berries, or they could pick up some, I don't know, grass, other things that have starches in them naturally, but if you think about living in, like, northern Alaska... There's not going to be a lot of blueberries growing over there. They also have, like, longer and thicker hair than other dogs because they have two layers of fur. One's, like, a soft layer of fur on the inside, and the other one's, like, a thicker layer of fur on the outside so that they're, like, protected and also warm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a layer of insulation to have that softer fur, like a down, mm-hmm. like yeah. a down blanket sort of. Okay. They have, like... Like Arctic foxes, they have pads on their feet that help them travel across the ground without, like, getting too cold, mm-hmm. with their feet getting too cold. And then they have really fluffy tails. That allows them to cover their noses while they're asleep. And we learned about that with Arctic foxes, yeah. too, right? And that's so cute, how they cover up their little nose with their tail. Can I talk about adaptations, Namimia? Okay, Jaguar, do you already have all of these adaptations? Namimia? Mm-hmm. So, since everybody keeps saying sled, and some people are saying sledges, meow meow, uh-huh. I'm just going to call them sledos. 
Okay, that works. So, um, I, I want to pull Sleddo's like a Sleddo dog. Okay. Ready? Wow. So, you actually, that actually delivered you a sled. That's a pretty big sled. <laughs> it's also, is that made out of solid gold? Sorry, did you say sled? Don't you mean sled <laughs> Is your sled made out of solid can gold? Can I ride yeah. in your sled No. Okay. My sled Bye, Jaguar. Okay, number. Personally, I don't think he'd want a sled on him because, um. Are you calling him sled now? Isn't that more work for him? Yeah, well, maybe he likes to keep his money back there, other things that are important to him. Foil. Okay, number seven. Sled dogs are banned from Antarctica. They danger the native animals by bringing diseases that could affect seals. Mm -hmm. So, do you know how I remember which one is the Arctic and which one is Antarctica? What? Because Antarctica, ants are small on the ground, and so I think of Antarctica also, like ants on the ground. Also, there's another thing. So, Arctic... It's from um, somewhere that means bear. Mm -hmm. So Arctic is like bear land. And Antarctica means ant. It says Antarctica, so there's no bears. No bears. No bear land and bear land. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Antarctica is the one in the south. So these dogs have been in the northern hemisphere for the last 10,000 years or so, but they're not allowed into Antarctica. Number eight. Sledge dogs? Sledos. Sledge dogs? Sledos. Sledge dogs are known for racing a large race, nearly 1,000 miles, called the Iditarod. It starts in Anchorage and ends in Nome. It's just like the story that Mick is telling us, taking the diphtheria medicine from Anchorage to Nome, so they're traveling that same route, maybe. It takes 8 to 15 days to complete, and the temperatures can get as low as negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit with the wind chill. And the first place winner for the 2022 race earned $51,798 in prize money. Okay. And we're going to talk about the Aiden Red. Did somebody say $51,798? Yeah, Grady did. Where? 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 I don't have it. Where? Where? You get it by racing sled sledo dogs. I want to win the sledo dog race. The problem is that it's negative 100 degrees and you have to travel 1,000 miles. That's just a wolf. Can I just take a plane? No, no. you've got to do the sled. Evolve. Can they get snowmobile? No. Evolve. No, you, you have to you have to run, but evolve. You can evolve to do it. Evolve to adapt to one hundred negative one hundred degrees and evolve to run at extremely fast times, in like covering one thousand miles. Do you want to do that, Jaguar? That would still mean you would have to run it. Can I just walk it? Well, you could, but you wouldn't win. Can I walk it? In in one step, I can go wherever I want. Like. Cross a thousand miles in one step? Yep. All right, ready? Um, I still look the same. Yeah, you do look the same, I guess. Hey, mommy, meow, meow. Hey, Jaguar. I'm a thousand miles away. <laughs> Come on back. I think that worked pretty well. I think I was like meow, meow in like the Saudi Arabia. Wow, you got far. Yeah. Clara, number, number nine. Nine. There are four types of mushing sled dogs. The first one, lead dogs. They lead the rest of the dogs. Their strengths are they're the most fast and intelligent dogs in the group. They navigate the rest of the team through the group. Two, swing dogs. They help the rest of the group sort of move into the turns. Strengths, they're just like good at making people move into turns. <laughs> <laughs> Next, wheel dogs. 
They're sort of like the swing dogs for the sled. They help the s- sled turn when it's about to run into a tree or make a sharp turn. Okay. Then, strengths. They're the strong. They're usually the strongest of the group. Then finally, team dogs. They are the most team dogs per mushing group, and they're just like sort of those people who help make the sled move faster. You know, extra runners. Mm-hmm. Strength, teamwork. Oh, that's great. Okay, and then finally, number ten, because there are some concerns about whether the Iditarod is ethical. Ethical. Do you want to talk about that, Grady? Okay. So the Iditarod, we just learned about it. It's a big race where sledge dogs compete. Sled, um, sledos, so dogs. that a human can get money. But there's debate about whether it's cool to animals. Because PETA, or People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, thinks that it is animal cruelty. Over 150 dogs have died in the past, I think, 50 sledge dog races, Iditarods. And in just this year alone, quote, nearly 250 dogs were pulled off the trail because of exhaustion, illness, injury, or other forces, forcing their remaining ones to work even harder to pull the mushers, which is a quote from a PETA article. And PETA is convincing the Iditarod sponsors to stop sponsoring the Iditarod, and they call it, like, the death race. Because of them, companies like ExxonMobil, Alaska Airlines, Baird Private Wealth Management. ExxonMobil! This is what I say, ExxonMobil! Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why it's called ExxonMobil. Okay, just... And Chrysler's Anchorage dealership do not sponsor the race anymore. Yeah, I, there's definitely some ethical considerations there. And the Iditarod is different from, like, the story that Mick is telling where it's a sled dog who is pulling medicine yeah, to someone in need. This is a race. So... Thanks so much for all those cool facts about sled dogs. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our facts. If you want to hear more about animals, we hope that you will check out our podcast, which you can find by searching for cool facts about animals wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. We're going to turn back to Mick now. Thanks for listening, everybody. When we last left Wild Bill, he was sledding behind his team of dogs, carrying the precious life-saving serum that was bound for Nome, Alaska. But things got cold. Oh, so cold. Like 50 degrees below zero cold. Wild Bill realized hypothermia might be a problem. To keep his body temperature from dropping to dangerously low levels, he decided to stay warm by running alongside the sled rather than riding on it. You are Wild Bill. Have fun with that. Wild Bill. Wild Bill Bill was just one cog in the wheel, as they say. If everything worked according to plan, it would take about 20 mushers and 150 dogs to carry the medicine and stave off the diphtheria outbreak. Wild Bill was only the first. When he handed it off 52 miles later, his face was frostbitten, and he and his dogs were completely worn out. But the other teams were mostly fresh if not a tad cold waiting in the sub-zero temperatures. Oh, a tad cold, you think? Okay, really cold. Many of the other mushers in the relay were racers, freight haulers, trackers, trappers, and mail carriers. Several, like Jack Jackscrew Nikolai and Victor Anagik, were Native Americans themselves, eager to help and comfortable in the lands that they had grown up in, despite the frigid temperature. The path would carry the serum through traditional Athabascan and Inuit lands. And along the path, the serum in turn was carried by 
Athabascan, and Inuit hands. Each rider mushed a team of dogs, somewhere between 25 and 60 miles, to move the medicine. Only a few stops were made, just for enough time to set the box by the fire to warm it up so the contents couldn't freeze solid. And so no one wound up covered in frozen horse blood serum, of course. But with the help of one special dog, one musher would carry the serum farther and through more dangerous territory than anyone. Leonard Seppala was his name, and mushing was his game. For real, Leonard was well known because he was the fastest and best rider most people had ever seen. He was Norwegian, and he'd come to Alaska as a young man in a fit of heartbreak after his fiance passed away. A friend told him about the gold that had been discovered there, and he thought, hey, he'd take his chances chasing the ore. Turns out, he found dogs to be a much more valuable and rewarding pursuit. Many mushers he met had a mess of Malamutes, mutts, or Alaskan huskies, but when he witnessed a Russian musher crushing and flushing other racers with a team of slightly smaller Siberian huskies, Seppala was smitten. He had found his calling in life with the work dogs. Soon, like the Russian, he was mushing every day, hauling material for a gold mining company and moonlighting as a racer on a sled behind a team of Siberian huskies that he had trained. He trained a lot of dogs, raised even more, but never in his life would he cross paths with another pup like Togo. When Togo was just a young Siberian husky pup, Seppala was not impressed. Named after a Japanese military leader, Togo was a difficult dog to deal with. According to legend, Seppala actually gave the dog up and sent him to live in another home. As a trainer, this was common, but Togo was very unhappy about it, and he jumped out of a window, shattering the glass, and somehow found his way back to Seppala. The young dog's actions impressed Leonard, and he reconsidered his feelings towards Togo. Togo must have known something that Seppala did not, at least at first. As the years went by, the two formed a bond that was unparalleled. The human and dog soulmate team could communicate without a word, which comes in handy when a person is bundled with layer upon layer over their face and mouth to try to keep to try to keep the violent cold air from torturing their tongues and lungs. Togo couldn't have heard him anyway. Always a dozen or more feet ahead, the only sounds the lead dog usually heard were the wind and the push of paws on snow and ice. Now, Seppala knew that if Togo did something, anything, he did it for a reason. Once, while leading a pack over a frozen lake, the dog disobeyed orders and didn't make a turn when Seppala signaled for one. Instead, the dog did a near backflip to stop the team and sled in its tracks. Seppala was confused and initially thought that there was something wrong with Togo. But in reality, the dog had seen a crack in the ice that Seppala had not. If he would have traveled a few more feet, the whole team would have been turned into popsicles. Another time they were not quite as lucky. An ice floe broke off beneath them and they started to drift away from shore. So Seppala tied a rope to Togo, tossed him to the other side, which was secure and offered a path to the safety of shore. And the dog pulled and pulled, moving Seppala and the other dogs closer to shore on their floating boat of ice until the rope broke. 
Then what did he do? Togo grabbed the end of the rope in his mouth, fell to the ground, writhed and turned and barrel rolled on the icy shore until the rope was twisted around his torso, at which point he stood up and pulled his teammates the rest of the way to safety. Seppala was amazed. So you can see why when it came time to save lives, there was no other choice. At 12, Togo was pretty old for a work dog, but he was unstoppable. So 12-year-old Togo was at the front of the pack, leading the team that would hopefully pull Seppala and the serum and save Gnome. In order to get to the relay handoff point, Leonard Seppala, Togo, and the team had already ridden 170 miles into the wilderness, but they were still eager to bolt. They made a beeline for Gnome as soon as the serum was turned over to them. At times, the wind would bring the temperature to 65 degrees below zero, and every hour mattered. They slept very little, staying in motion as long as possible, not just because of the serum, but also because it was the only way to stay alive. They'd get too cold if they stopped moving for long. When they finally made it to a body of water known as the Norton Sound, Seppala had to decide whether to risk taking the pack over the frozen ice or travel safely around. To go around would add a full day to the journey. Now, memories of Togo's rope heroics certainly came to mind, but if things went badly again, there was no guarantee that they could make it out safely a second time. Still, Seppala had all the trust in the world in Togo. He knew that the 12-year-old superdog would know what was best and turn them around if it was safer. So they tried to cross the wide frozen water. And amazingly, or not amazingly if you know Togo, they made it safe and sound with the serum. When they handed it off to a man named Charlie Olson, Togo and team had traveled nearly 100 miles in under 24 hours. Charlie was the penultimate, or next to last rider. 40 or so miles later, he and his team handed it off to another man named Gunnar Kassen. Gunnar was a friend of Leonard Seppala's, and at the front of his team was a dog named Balto. Seppala had trained Balto as well, but he was not a fan of the dog. In his eyes, Balto didn't have what it took to be a good lead dog. Gunnar felt differently, and was right, because on the trail he was amazed at Balto's focus and leadership for their leg. In actuality, they were supposed to hand off to one final team, but upon arrival, they found the expected team asleep. Exhausted, cold, and nearly collapsed, Gunner decided to mush the last 25 miles. It would be quicker than hitching up a new team, and every minute counted. And Balto became the hero, pulling the sled into Nome with the still intact serum at 5.30 a.m., five days after it got off the train. 127 and one half hours to be exact. This was an incredible amount of time, several days faster than anyone had ever traveled the stretch before. As soon as they ground to a halt, Gunner got off the sled, staggered to Balto, complimented the dog's effort, rubbed his furry little head, and then collapsed in the middle of the street. You would too after an entire night of sledding through sub-zero temperatures. The dogs were in better shape than the man. The job was done, and Dr. Welch got his hands on the horse blood serum immediately. It took a bit of thawing, but amazingly, not a single vial was broken. 
every musher took great care of the precious cargo, so the doc was able to quickly treat his diphtheria-stricken patients. It's hard to know how many lives were saved by the dog sled brigade, but it was many. Thanks to the serum, the community made it to spring without another outbreak, and by then, a ship could get through the ice and deliver more to stamp it out for good. The dogs had saved Nome, Alaska. Back in continental America, citizens had followed the story with bated breath in the daily news. And we all know how much we like a hero. So when they were looking for the hero of this story, the honor fell on Balto's shoulders. It makes sense, right? He was the one who dramatically delivered the serum before sunrise on a cold morning hours ahead of schedule. But he wasn't the only pup. He was given parades, medals, even a bone-shaped key to the city of Los Angeles. Seppala, however, got a little prickly because he knew Togo was the most impressive dog in the race. But the dogs themselves didn't seem to mind either way. Maybe we could learn a thing or two from these pups. Maybe we could learn a lot, actually. Well, okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Past and the Curious, and thanks to my friend from Cool Facts About Animals for the sledge dog information. Sled dogs. And, um, yeah, check them out. You should check out all sorts of people from Kids Listen. There's all sorts of great creators, and uh, they are some of my favorites. So um, I have people to thank. Also, I'm going to update you on a couple things. I am making progress on the book. Things are looking really good. The illustrations are pretty much complete. And I look forward to making an announcement about it becoming physical, hopefully sometime this year. So stay tuned. Uh, I have Patreon people to thank because it's so great that you all choose to support the show. It means a lot and helps me keep going. So thank you very much. And on that note, Ainsley and Ophelia Sellen, age nine and six respectively, out in San Diego, California, Thank you very much for your support, and thank you for listening to the show. I love that you listen. Uh, That goes for these twins, too. These Connecticut-born twins, Molly and Eli Davis. Actually, I don't know that you were born in Connecticut. I just know you live there. Anyway, Molly and Eli, hello, and thank you for listening. I'm so glad that you are out there. And Elliot Rubel in Minnesota, that is the same for you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening, and hello wherever you are right now, Elliot. Uh, Nathan Brownback and Adele Black. I think that uh, you may have someone else that we'd like to thank or not. Thank you. If that you just wanted me to thank you, then that's great. But if there's someone else, let me know and I will thank them. And last but not least, there's a birthday. A young man in Essex Junction, Vermont named Griffin Danau. Hello, Griffin, and happy birthday to you. I hope you enjoy your big day. It's an... I guess probably about two weeks from when I release this. And uh, I hope it's great. I hope you have a great birthday. Glad you're out there. And that goes for everyone else. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And I can't wait to talk to you again. I hope you um, felt a little cool and chilled from listening to this frigid tale. I know that wherever I where I am, I could use it. Maybe you can too. I'll talk to you next month. Until then, I'm Mick Sullivan, and this has been The Past and the Curious. Bye, everybody.